Welcome back to the show. My name is Michael Lynn, and this is the MongoDB Podcast. Today on the show, we're talking about podcasts. Perhaps you've thought of starting a podcast. Maybe you've been on a podcast. Shane McAllister returns to the show to drive a conversation with a panel. On the panel, a couple of really great podcasters in their own right, Chris Jenkins of Confluent and Sean Swix Wang of Airbyte. Both of these folks, all three of these folks, have amazing insight and experience in the podcast realm. So if you've thought about podcasting or you're curious about it, stay tuned for that. Remember, check the show notes for links to the accompanying blog article for today's episode, mongodb.com slash podcast. Stay tuned. MongoDB.local is coming to a city near you. The next one coming up is October 20th, 2022. San Francisco. MongoDB.local San Francisco is a day filled with educational breakout sessions, announcement-packed keynote presentations, customer stories, free one-on-one Ask the Experts consulting sessions, networking opportunities, and so much more, all for the wonderful price of free. Want to get tickets? Want more information? Visit the show notes at mongodb.com slash podcast for more information and details. Okay, well, welcome, everybody. I'm really excited to kick off this conversation uh, in celebration of International Podcast Day. And I thought it would be good if we started with a bit of a roundtable introducing the folks on the episode. So let's first start with Chris Jenkins. He's a developer advocate at Confluent. He's been on the show before. Chris, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm very well, enjoying International Podcast Day. <laughs> and we're also once again joined by a former a former guest of the, of the podcast, Sean Swixwang. How are you? Hey, Michael. Glad to be back. And then, of course, ever-present Shane McAllister. Shane, good to see you again. Yeah, good, good to be here and, and sharing it with you. I'm, I'm the outside casual observer here, Michael. I want to ask <laughs> you some questions about the inception of the MongoDB podcast too for International Podcast Day. All right. Well, then let's let's get right into the into the discussion. Let, let's talk about podcasting and the and the role of podcasting at a tech company. I recently spent some time thinking about this, and I'm going to include some links in the show notes. I wrote an article called Four Reasons Why Your Tech Company Needs a Podcast. And I firmly believe that podcasting is a, a medium. It's growing. It's it's exploding in growth. And it's a really fantastic way to reach your your audience, especially in the tech space. Yes. And, and it is interesting, I suppose, the, the rise and the ebb and flow of podcasts. I was in an airport last week and came across a magazine called The Podcast Reader. I don't know if you've come across this. I sent a picture of it to Mike. <laughs> I thought, you know, we, we've jumped the shark there. We now have a magazine <laughs> for a podcast. But anyway. And an in-flight magazine at that, right? <laughs> so an International Podcast Day, in a couple of years, Hallmark will have cards for this. No doubt. You will give it to your favorite <laughs> podcaster. It will become a big event. But for today, and really this is geared towards our listeners and listeners who are in tech companies about, you know, podcast, what it means to listeners, what it means to producers and how to go about it as a company. So, Chris, let me jump to you first. How did you get started with your podcast initially and, and what was the inception? Oh, well, for me, it was I inherited it from um, <laughs> my boss, actually. So I joined Confluent about 18 months ago. And after I'd been there six months, the existing host said he was moving on. 
Okay. And I, I was there thinking, well, I don't want to, I love this guy and I don't want to jump in his grave, but I've got to raise my hand because that sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> and someone's going to have to take it over. Okay. So, so you were, you were handed something that was preformed and yes. did you, did you have to change it and, and go about something differently or did you just carry on with the flow and, and I suppose how it was structured? Initially, I kept very close to the existing structure because I was I was um, very aware that I had to carry the audience with me to a new host. But I've gradually started evolving it into my own thing. I think a big part of that is trying to widen our scope a bit. I think we've always been a very kind of Kafka focused podcast, and I want to get into a slightly broader technical conversation where our audience goes from being Kafka people to anyone who might be interested in Kafka as well as the area of technology generally. So if you're interested in event systems or databases or programming languages, you might be our future listener. Excellent. So the broader development ecosystem. So that brings us nicely to asking Sean, how did he get started? Uh, and you know, what, have, what have you built over, over your time podcasting? So it's funny because we, do, we at Airbyte, uh, we're in the data engineering space. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked to create a podcast a couple of times, but I've studiously avoided it so far, <laughs> <laughs> which might be a little nice uh, piece of contention for Michael. Uh, I'm just trying to fi- figure out an, a good angle for podcasting because I think there's a lot of competition in this space. And sometimes, you know, it's the same circus of people going around and telling the same stories on, on different podcasts. And and we didn't really want to contribute to that. We wanted to to find our voice, find find a concept that worked uh, that would actually add to the debate. So uh, I'm still pretty new here at Airbyte, and we're, we're trying, to, trying to figure it out. But the policy has been just be an active participant on other people's podcasts while we figure it out, right? Personally, I actually... So, so I try to do do the inverse of everything. So, I do have a personal podcast where I take clips of stuff I enjoyed. Uh, I've I've clipped stuff from both of your podcasts, Chris and Michael. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, I I think uh, creating your personal mixtape is essentially what I what how I describe it. It's a lost art from the eighties. The the word tape might confuse some of our listeners, but uh, they'll have to Google it or something like that. That, It's the best form of storage. <laughs> so, so let me uh, poacher turn gamekeeper. Let me ask a question of Mike Lane. Mike, you were the inception of the MongoDB podcast. We didn't have a podcast before you started it. So, you know, why and how did you take on this mantle for podcasting for MongoDB? Okay, so I, I do want to correct you just a little bit, Shane. Um, mm-hmm. I got involved with the podcast after learning that Nick Raboy and Wesley Faulkner were thinking about starting the podcast at MongoDB. And I was just so in love with the idea. I had created my own podcast outside of the tech space in the addiction recovery space, just as a personal pet project. And I was really interested in in mm-hmm. podcasting from a technical perspective for, for MongoDB. So uh, I have to credit Nick and, and Wesley for the idea. And Nick and I launched. Uh, Wesley ended up not being on the podcast. Uh, but we love you, Wesley. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and Nick and I ran it for, oh, I think like close to a year before Nick decided that he wanted to do other things. Um, he's still getting involved in live streams and doing mm-hmm. an amazing job as a developer advocate at MongoDB. So so that's that's the correction. And let me get back to the question. 
tell me one more time, what is it that you want to know about the inception? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, look, it, it leads us to the question about how hard was it to convince those that needed convincing mm -hmm. inside of MongoDB initially, and we'll move around to Chris as well, uh, that a podcast was, was a thing to do and, and to devote a lot of time because I've, I'm now learning the work that it takes, not just people chatting on microphones. It's actually yeah. the pre and the post and everything else in between as well, too. So it does take yeah. a lot of time and effort. So, so I want to turn it over to, to Chris and, and Sean to get their take on this. But for me personally, and for, and for Nick, when we started it out, it was very much a let's prove the concept. Let's launch it, do what we can do with it as a side project. We didn't have the ability to do this as a full-time job. Um, so we were very much looking for ways that we could accomplish the mission of developer advocacy, reaching the developer community with interesting topics, engaging them, hopefully giving them information that they needed to do their job better. And and we accomplished that. I mean, we it's a difficult thing to measure, but we've been able to to look at the numbers, have conversations, and we've been having a really great time since then. So since the side project days, it's it's actually become my full-time job. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to to have that, but I'll I'll throw it over to Chris. What what's your take in the, on the uh, on the inception of podcasting and and goals? So I think one thing I want to pick up on is the question like, how do you convince people to go for that in your organization to go for the effort, right? And I one thing I realize coming to developer advocacy is quite how much time you spend on creating different kinds of content. You know, you write a good worthwhile conference talk that can take several weeks you work on some documentation to get that right that's a lot of work all the things we do take a surprising amount of time if you want to do genuine high quality content and i actually think the podcast is quite a high return on time invested to if you can find that flow of interesting people and they are out there then to have a conversation with them for an hour in reality, takes maybe a couple of days' work overall, but that's actually really good return on investment for an hour's worth of useful information you can send out to people. Mm, I like that concept of, and, and what we try to push too is to use the podcast to amplify developer advocacy and the work that's being done, not only internally but externally. Insofar as, as you rightly say, Chris, we've spend a long time crafting a, a, a show, uh, a talk, <laughs> and uh, we spend a long time crafting a blog post. Um, you know, but we, we consume media in different ways. And for me, my podcast consumption is predominantly in the car or commuting, mm. um, which will then spark other ideas. Over to you, Sean, you're kind of saying you're trying to find the the audience and the reason why to be podcasting at Airbyte. What are your thoughts in general uh, about the value of podcasting? I would say there's a there's a very interesting post on Hacker News that has basically said, you know, I use podcasting as my personal learning tool. And as a career changer myself coming up through tech, uh, I definitely leverage that. Uh, I will go back in time to to see what people were saying authentically at that point in time, and then try to basically bootstrap my own experience that I don't have, right? By listening on the walls of conversation, like being a fly on the wall conversation of people who know a lot more than me. And you pick up these like small little terms that uh, seem insignificant, but just 
immersing yourself. It's almost like a language immersion type of thing. When you learn a new language, you want to immerse yourself in the way that people talk to each other. And you know, when it comes to engineering, it, it's no different. Uh, you, you want to you want to think about what people are saying, what concerns uh, people are raising, what people are not saying, and it can be super insightful. Uh, I will say, I think <clears throat> sometimes people try to be too informative in a podcast when it doesn't really translate very well because you're trying to communicate technical issues. You have a diagram in your head, but it doesn't come across. <laughs> I often like the, uh, I often think that there should be an accompanying article to each podcast where you can say like, all right, someone's written an article uh, and then let's have the podcast discussion about it so that you can have sort of a backup article to, to, to center your understanding as you discuss it, because sometimes you just, people just get lost. Um, I will also say maybe there are different roles or jobs to be done in podcasting. Sometimes you're there for information. Sometimes you're there for just entertainment. Sometimes you're there for news. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. different roles you can perform for the listener that uh, once you establish that contract, uh, I think people come and choose your show based on you know what fits into their lives. I think it's very interesting the point you raise about the level of in-depth that you can go into on a podcast. I think I was at MongoDB a couple of months and I joined Mike and our colleague Nick Raboy on a podcast talking about Realm, MongoDB's mobile product. And I, I don't know, Mike, whether it was you or whether it was Nick, but one of you asked me to explain conflict resolution in, in a moment. <laughs> I, I can see the diagram in my head. I understand how it works. But trying to talk somebody through conflict resolution uh, when it regards to data, super hard. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I love that you, that you bring that up, Sean, because I think I am so guilty of that. I'm, I'm trying to bring value in every possible way to the listeners. And sometimes I go... <laughs> go a little crazy in that, but yeah, I appreciate the, the thoughtful approach to that. <laughs> well, I, I think I think show notes, you know, are is essentially can plug for a lot of what people might need in terms of visual aid. Uh, I, I definitely view podcasting as a form of like an audio accompaniment to something that people can look up in real life. Like if I see, if I find an interesting guest on one of your podcasts, um, I will go onto their landing page or whatever article or book they're talking about and actually uh, investigate more. You don't have to treat the podcast as an endpoint. It's it's more of a starting point for people browsing to see if they discover something interesting in their free time. And uh, I think that maybe liberates you from the, the responsibility or duty of being complete or being informative. You don't have to teach. You just have to inspire or you have to interest. Yeah. Love that. I have a question for you on that. You know, I love the concept of the podcast being a starting point. And one of the most difficult things that I've wrestled with is how to get people to take that next step. What is the most effective way that during a conversation that I can leave breadcrumbs in an effective way that people will be able to use that as a starting point and then take that next step? Now, mentioning a URL is pretty much I have zero luck. Like if I say, um, you know, what we're talking about here is is xyz.com, there's zero clicks on that. And then if I say xyz.com, check the show notes for the link, I might get maybe one out of 100. The listeners, listener count could be 100. I might get one click on that. So I'm curious as as podcasters and and folks that are that are really trying to help developers do their jobs better, what ways do you leverage calls to actions? What methods do you use? I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Chris. Oh, gosh. Um, do you know, I've got to confess, I don't think about calls to action that much. <laughs> I mean, we do have like the usual advert, you know, there's a sign up code for our cloud service. 
But the tone of the podcast to me is the conversation that I want to have with an interesting developer if we meet in the pub after work. Maybe that metaphor will land better with the Irish and the English than with the Americans. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I... A coffee shop or in the gym. A coffee shop. In the gym, yes. When we're on the <laughs> treadmill, what's the conversation we'll have? And I don't see... I see that as an end in itself. So maybe I should put my marketing hat on and think more about calls to action. But in my heart of hearts, if we have an interesting conversation and we get to share that with other people, I've achieved my goal, you know? Yeah, I, I'm curious how you guys think about uh, ROI because you, you know you started the show mentioning that uh, MongoDB has seen really good ROI. Uh, I've just not tried at all. Um, you know, my general philosophy is there's brand marketing and there's performance marketing, and if you try to mix the two, um, you never get good results. So, so brand marketing being put your logo on a billboard, nothing else, just like repeated exposure gets people mm -hmm. to like you more just because they've seen you more. It's a, it's a very, mm -hmm. very fundamental sense of human behavior and repeated exposure to Chris, Chris's voice has definitely made me like confident more. Um, and, <laughs> Can uh, I get that in writing, please? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you just got it in voice and video. Oh, that would um, be. Uh, but the, if you try to mix performance marketing, which is like, you know, Chris's voice plus, like, here's the coupon code, like it just kind of muddles the message. Uh, and Seth Godin, who is, is one of these, um, marketing gurus has always said like you're playing on a different level if you try to make everything transactional mm. so i tend mm. to not do that but i know in my heart of hearts like yes like if we're being paid to do this job we should try to do to, to show some kind of roi it's just very difficult to that's the thing that you know I, I need at some point at the end of the day i have a great time on the podcast and and i truly believe that you know just based on the goal of, of trying to help developers do a better job more easily use the, the the tools at their disposal that I'm having an impact. But I, it's difficult for me to go to my bosses and say, I need another X dollars for this year to run the podcast. They're always asking me, what's, how do we know? How do we know? <laughs> I mean, they want, they want the th same things I do, but of course they want to be able to, to talk to the, to the street and talk to the, the board members and, and mention, you know, the specifics of how we're moving the little, the needle. And I suppose, look, the, the show notes are there and, and we religiously try to fill the show notes. But as you say, Mike, uh, you know, the traction through the show notes wouldn't necessarily stand out in any report in terms of the success. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, maybe that's the medium, right? You listen to something and you hear it and you get somebody's name or a company's name in your head and you just go Google it. You're not going to go into the show notes and find a link to click on that. You'll bypass that and, and do it that way. But I think, you know, it brings us to a very valid point of at some point, rather personal podcasting aside, if you're doing it in a business level or a corporate level, you do need a, a justification. So how would you measure success? Is it purely listens and downloads? Is it uh, people's awareness that the podcast exists in the first place? Is it the caliber of the podcast and its ability to attract other guests from other companies or, or the ecosystem that you're operating in? Throw back to uh, Chris on that one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. At the end of the day, you've got to hit that bottom line, right? We're not just paid for a hobby. So the way we measure it is quantitatively, it's mostly downloads. Uh, we also publish mm -hmm. our podcast on youtube so we get a bit more bit more data from youtube which is one of the reasons we do it so we get like how long do people listen for at what point do they drop off that kind of thing and those are all good metrics especially if they're gradually growing that make that makes the case that this conversation is a way to reach developers and something 
that makes you interesting to the outside world. And then there's the kind of quantitative stuff, sorry, the qualitative stuff, which is comments, obviously, reviews on Apple Podcasts, so they're hard to get hold of. And just things like our company organizes a conference twice a year. And when I go to those conferences, people come up because they want to talk to me because they've heard me on the podcast. Um, not to say as an ego thing, it's not about be- having fans, but it's like, yes, you've actually reached what you thought was a complete stranger. That's mm. got to be valuable. I was, because um, I live in London, I was in um, Melbourne a couple of months ago. And somebody in Melbourne came up to me and said, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. And it's like, my God, how am I reaching to the other side of the planet <laughs> just by having conversations in the pub, which we record? <laughs> you know, that's, even, even if you can't put an exact dollar amount on that, you've got to tell your accountant to bench that under the goodwill figure, right? Yeah, I, I think we got to trademark that one. Conversations in the pub. Mike, can we move this entire production <laughs> to a pub? I think that would be, that would be brilliant. I, I I think Mike, you do something similar at at our event in June every year, MongoDB World. You you capture a lot of quality content at that as well too, from from people who come up to want to want to speak with you. Yeah, absolutely, I always carry a microphone with me, and um, I'll actually coincidentally I'll be at dot local San Francisco and dot local Dallas and dot local San Francisco. These are our user conferences that travel around the world. And uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you see me at a conference, make sure you um, come up and say hello. Nice plug. (laughs) (laughs) Check the show notes for dates and times. (laughs) Be careful. I'll put in my own plug. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Because if this is International Podcast Day, I'll be at our conference current next week in Austin, Texas. And I'm sure I'll be having lots of interesting conversations. If anyone wants to come up to me, I love getting paid to just chat with developers. It's one of the best things. (laughs) I I actually... so. Now that you mentioned it, so I am a panelist. I don't I don't run the podcast, but I'm a panelist on uh, Svelte Radio. And we just had our conference, our first uh, ever conf- in-person conference uh, last month. And people from Sweden were coming up to me, telling me how, how much they love the podcast, even though it's, the audio quality is really rough. You know, we don't have audio engineers. Uh, we don't have professionals in a microphone setting. It's just it's just amazing the, the kind of reach that, it, that you can get on, in podcasting land. And I think... Something I like, I think about a lot is the 99% rule, which is that most people lurk, pass and mm-hmm. consume content passively. And you only see them, they only come out of the woodwork <laughs> when you have these events and they're there and they see you and you're like, and, and they come up to you and, and talk to you about the podcast. It's, it's really great. Uh, I, I think maybe one way to prove the impact is how much of a draw you are by at your conference hosting like a, Here's the you know the MongoDB podcast live. Here's the Confluent streaming audio mm. podcast live, and seeing how many people show up just for that, uh, and you'll you'll find a lot. Uh, we have this in in JavaScript circles as well. When you have a podcasters do their episode live, people love to see like the behind the scenes because they spend so many hours with these voices, mm-hmm. never seen the faces doing the voices. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I know that I've been to a few of those kind of podcast live recordings, Sean, and. The one thing that always stands out to me is I listen to most podcasts on maybe one and a quarter speed, maybe a bit, maybe a bit faster. And then you meet these people in person. You go, oh, you talk so much slower than, than what I'm You're used to. You're not as smart as they sound. 
No, they're still smart. Don't get me wrong, but but they're you're kind of so used to listening to them. The one podcast that I listen to, or at least I try to listen to, is is we. This is a quiet plug. We have a, a Spanish podcast in MongoDB called Unicode, and the what? two the, the two hosts are two developer advocates, Jorge and Diego. I turn that podcast slower. It's the only podcast because my <laughs> Spanish is pretty rough and they speak so fast because it's the two of them and their guests. And it, it's, it's really good to try and brush up on your Spanish. And every other, now and then you, you pick up the normal technical words, but uh, it's the only podcast that I listen to slower than real time. But most of it, anyone else faster? I, I think I just like consuming things quicker, right? I'm just jealous that you're managing to listen to a foreign language podcast. Way too much of a coward for that. It's it's an interesting mix, you know, some some of the episodes, and as I say, I'm listening to it maybe three quarters speed or even less, and I'm trying mm. to improve my Spanish and also, you know, keep on, keep on top of what they're talking about because it's been immensely successful. And again, like we were speaking about at the beginning, they came to Mike and went, we're going to do a Spanish language podcast. And you go, really? A technical podcast? Everybody codes in quasi-English. Do we really need to do that? <laughs> And it's been extraordinarily successful for, for both of them. And, and, you know, again. So we just experienced a technical glitch. We use a system called <laughs> Zencaster. little shout out to the Zencaster folks. They make an amazing product. And I've relied on it since the start of the MongoDB podcast. It, it is, however, reliant on the infrastructure. And sometimes the infrastructure is a little faulty. I do love that Zencaster records locally so that at any point in time, if there's an inf a glitch in the infrastructure, you don't experience that in the recording because it records locally to your hard drive. That's tip number one for me is is get your get your system in place, get your technology in place uh, when you're going to record. Uh, Zoom is great, but I found that it's really challenging to get a, a track per guest, which is helpful when you're when you may possibly experience overtalk or um, a chatter amongst multiple guests at the same time. So maybe let's let's open that up. And Chris, maybe talk about a tech tip that um, that you would share with someone thinking about starting a podcast. Um, my top tech tip would be invest in a decent microphone. It really is worth it. And once you've bought one, experiment with what makes your voice sound best. You're asking to sit inside people's ears for up to an hour at a time. Be nice to them. Give them the best sonic experience they can get. <laughs> and I would gladly, if anyone has a tip, that's very tricky to extend to guests. You can't always arrange that your guest has a good quality microphone. And if anyone has a solution to that, I'm all ears. Well, we, we've actually, we've sent microphones to guests that, that weren't able to, or didn't have a kit available to them. So we've, we've sent them and sometimes that messes with the schedule, but I think you're right. It's absolutely worth it to have the best possible listening experience through a good mic. How about you, Sean? Yeah, so I have tried to record on Zoom, and I've also uh, tried, uh, we use Riverside for uh, Svelte Radio. Uh, we use Audacity for uh, editing, uh, which is a very, which open source uh, free tool, really amazing, but there is mm -hmm. a bit of a learning curve. And yeah, the recording of separate tracks is super important. Mm -hmm. And I also would not recommend Zoom, not just because you, you actually like recording separate tracks on Zoom is just a toggle. You can find it. It's just hard to find. But you have to prioritize uh, audio, right? When your internet bandwidth degrades, mm -hmm. 
Zoom clearly prioritizes video, you know, prioritizes real time. Whereas I, I think I think for for podcasting, you really have to separate, prioritize separate tracks, particularly when the guests talk over each other. You want to you want the ability to edit that out. You want the ability to if one person's microphone is not as well tuned as the other to independently just improve uh, the quality in some way to to rebalance to clean out the noise, um, anything like that. Um, I think it's super important. But I I wish there was a good resource for looking at the profile of a audio of a voice speaking and to tweak it such that it sounds audio ready. Mm-hmm. Every time I listen to a Howard Stern talk, like a YouTube channel, his voice is yeah, it's mm-hmm. deep, but there's some audio engineering going on there that I don't know. And I wish like there was just a good guide to let me figure out like the EQ levels or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll learn it. I just don't know where to start because it's hard to Google because it's kind of unspoken. Yeah. I have some good resources that Eric, our editor, has shared with me. He introduced, So I'll echo the Audacity plug. I mean, it's an amazing tool. I've used that from the very beginning. And Eric showed me how to create macros, uh, stacked macros. So I will share with you the tips that Eric gave me and enabled me to create a stacked macro, which I apply to all, all audio um, on all of my podcasts. I do four now. Hmm. If I could jump in, the one thing I also wanted to ask was... Pre-pandemic, getting people to do a podcast was probably quite hard because they were in office, they were in situ, they were used to -to face-to-face. You were trying to make an arrangement to meet them, as Chris said, in the pub, hopefully. (laughs) Um, You know, how much has the pandemic contributed to the, I suppose, really the willingness of people to jump online, which is what we're doing now, and have a conversation? I I think prior to that, I know know we used to do some stuff years ago, it, people were quite reluctant. You couldn't say, you're going to record you online, then we're going to make it into a podcast and the whole world can listen. But now I think people are very much predisposed to this because we spend so much of our time you know, doing this. And, and the podcast piece is just stripping away everything else and taking the audio and putting it up uh, for other people to consume. I, I, am I correct in thinking it's a little easier to get guests now because of we're used to this online existence that we've been forced into for a couple of years? I think it may have gone through a peak in a trough, actually. I think you're you're right. At the start of the pandemic, people were very wary to be involved in online conversations habitually. And then we kind of were forced to adapt to it, right? That that became Mm -hmm. our normal normal way of speaking to anybody. And then I think we started to get quite, after a couple of years, we got real fatigue for it. I certainly know for online conferences, virtual conferences, people roll their eyes if they're asked to speak at those. Oh, totally. It's like you're talking, you're talking to your screen. You've got no audience engagements. There's no serendipity. It's, you know, a hallway track doesn't happen. A a casual conversation doesn't happen. I'm not a fan of the online conferences. Definitely. I agree with you. Holy Chris. Yeah, we we did them when they were an absolute necessity. But now Mm. I, I have this vision, like one day in my future, I'll be in a retirement home and I'll just be talking to the wall as an 85 year old man. And the nurse will say, don't mind him. He thinks he's at an online conference. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's been permanently damaged by that experience. But. I, I think people are also investing more in their home setups because they treat it like more like mm-hmm. their office. Um, so maybe you just get better audio, which is people know how to navigate Zoom a lot better, right? Like it's, it's becoming 
a professional requirement to have a good mic, to have a good camera. So in a sense, maybe it's it's uh, it's easier to to get guests and to get good stuff out of your guests. But I also mentioned, you know, on the listening side, every podcaster I was talking to in early 2020 was noting there was like something like a 20% drop in their listeners listenership because people are not commuting, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which uh, makes a lot of sense. So you, there's there's sort of the demand and supply thing going on there as well. Uh, but I think probably things have gone back to normal. I, I would hope. I think we're beneficiaries of a change in the societal norms. Like people are now used to, you know, having meetings online, but but also because the technology has gotten better. I don't know if you remember this, but Zoom was not always so good. Zoom used to be this thing where there would be echoes, and you know, the, somebody's audio would be like blaring way over. And Zoom figured it out. Like they figured out the interface. They figured out like the non-audio interactions. And they figured out like uh, echo cancellation. That's like, that happens automatically now. I think it's a configuration switch. But I also wanted to say like some new things have come along, like an absolutely magical piece of software. It's called Crisp. I use it. And you can't hear this right now. The, the folks listening to the podcast can't hear this, but there is a lawnmower about, I'm going to say eight feet away from me <laughs> running at full bore. And it's probably at like negative two decibels. Like it's, it's loud but you can't hear it because crisp is running and crisp k r i s p .io it filters out all the noises i'm i'm clapping now and you can't hear me we can see you <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> magical <laughs> that is i was going to ask are you able to turn it off while while still on this thing so i'm going to turn off crisp and now you can hear me can you hear me clapping uh-huh. can you hear the the lawnmower uh, yeah we we can't we still cannot hear the lawnmower. I think that's because you have a good mic. Yeah, your your mic is too good. It's just you. Yeah. <laughs> that was starting to be a sales pitch for Crisp, and it's turned into a sales pitch for your microphone manufacturer. <laughs> speaking of mics, yeah. Speaking of mics, I, I was I was going to get into a little bit of that. Uh, everyone gets the Blue Yeti, but that's a. Uh, you know, omnidirectional mic, which actually is the worst <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> situation for podcasting. If there's only one thing you take away from this, from this, uh, you know, meta discussion on podcasting is don't use Blue Yeti for microphone <laughs> for uh, podcasting. Or right? if you're using it, make sure you have the settings right so that it's it's focused. It's a focal point mo- microphone rather than uh, omnidirectional. It still picks up. I don't think there is a setting. So I have the Blue Yeti. It doesn't doesn't have a setting where it's only in one direction. So what you want is the cardioid microphone where, it's, where it really points at your mouth. But the Blue Yeti always picks up front and back at least, if not just the sides as well. So uh, I have a Samson 9QU. There's a there's a website called don't buy, don't buy a Yeti.com, <laughs> which is just this epic, very, very petty rant about why Yetis are bad for audio recording. But I'm curious what you guys use. So I use a Shure S7MB or SM7B, whichever it is. Yeah, it's very nice. Oh, I'll give you a bonus tip. If you are doing this on the cheap, then probably your laptop microphone is better quality than your earbuds because they're tuned for telephone calls. Ah, okay. So that's a discount tip. Excellent. These, <laughs> these are all good top tips. Speaking of technology, um, you know, obviously the podcast gets consumed asynchronously wherever, whenever. Uh, have you played around with Twitter spaces and other kind of live synchronous audio? What, what's your thoughts on those? So I, I've recorded several podcasts on Twitter Spaces. I think it's a huge time investment. You care, you're basically not doing anything else if you're a host of the podcast uh, of the space because mm-hmm. you're always looking at like you know who's coming up next to to host. It's it's actually kind of it's it's work. It's it's real work. But 
you know, I, I think what's magical about it is obviously Twitter promotes it right in front of mm. everybody's faces. So you do get uh, really good distribution, particularly if you have some a, a big guest on that everyone follows. Um, so that can get you a lot more reach. Like it, there's inbuilt discoverability in a way that podcasts don't have. And then the other thing is, of course, the spontaneity of a listener being able to just mm-hmm, come mm-hmm. up and ask a question, which you, you can't do in a podcast. You know, and 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 sometimes just people who are huge authorities on the space. They, they see your space is happening. They just hop in. Um, so there's no scheduling of a guest. So there's there's just a, a randomness that people kind of love. Uh, that said, I you know I, I think like spaces are, are a lot of work and I I, uh, I don't do them all the time. <laughs> I'll do them in Okay, so months. good for reach and randomness. Chris, what's your experience? Have you done Twitter spaces before? No, I have to duck that question because I haven't. And I'm thinking now we'll experiment with it. Next month, <laughs> let me know. I'd I'd love to jump in. Well, I'll follow up next international podcast. Day. <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> uh, Sean, you just made me think of something as it relates to to Twitter Spaces. I have done them, and uh, Shane and I have done them, but I kind of treated them like a recording room, and I I set the discussion up yeah. ahead of time, and I don't think that that's the intention. I think it's more of a random thing, like you said, and I think you just kind of made me. <laughs> made me realize I need a new perspective on Twitter spaces. It's a hallway conversation where anyone can come and go as they please. And yeah, uh, I, I think I think basically you're either optimizing for the live listening mm-hmm. experience or you're optimizing for the post listening experience. And that's a fundamental tension there because I always think that the numbers are going to be bigger uh, on anything mm-hmm. that that's asynchronous, right? Like that, that people can catch up on later on. So, you know, if we were to host this discussion on Twitter Spaces, people listening in live, then you would strip the audio and, and post it on the MongoDB feed. I would be optimizing for the MongoDB feed, not the people live in attendance. And I, I think that's not the right way to do it. I want to ask you that question, though. What does that mean to optimize for that post? Meaning you, if you have a message to, if you have a story, if you have a you know, call to action that you that you want to deliver, you do it to completion without paying too much attention to whether or not you want that mm-hmm. sort of back and forth response. I don't know if I'm communicating this well, but like, so for example, right, we would have spaces where there would be a lot of structure. We would, we would have a planning session beforehand. Here's the five things we're going to mm-hmm. cover. And then we just kind of go through them. That is much, that's very much optimizing for the long-lived mm-hmm. audience, the asynchronous audience, because you have a plan, you kind of go through them. Whereas a, a space that is live, that you know, imagine you're, you're just in a, a conference in a hallway track, and people just coming along and, and inserting mm-hmm. themselves in, in whatever questions. You would allow for more Q and A. You allow for more improvisation, which makes the variance in quality a lot higher. Mm. It could be really poor because someone could come in with a totally off-base question and just ruin the, the listening experience for a thousand people. But then someone could come in with a really great question uh, or a really great answer to a question that everyone's talking about. And that would improve the experience for a lot of people. <laughs> so you just don't... You, 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 but that, I mean, they're, they're the trade-offs, right? That's, that's exactly what you're trying to do. I, I think, Mike, you and I did one very early on and we, you know, we opened it out to Q&A and, and, and we got the Bitcoin bro. You know, they came on, they're pushing, whatever. It's like, you know, no, who has the button? Who can turn this person off? So, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of, yeah, it's a give and take, okay? Yeah. <laughs> For those who are actually very, you know, intent on Twitter spaces as a podcasting medium, you might want to check out the Oxide Computer Company, uh, Brian Cantrell. They have been doing a regular Twitter space 
there's there's a bit of a script, there's a bit of planning and, and special guest invitation. So it, it is more on the spectrum of live chat versus podcasting. It's more on the spectrum of podcasting, but done live. Uh, so that's a, that's a nice constraint that they have. And then with some Q&A at the end. Uh, so I think that that's a nice balance. And if you want a positive example, they've done that for a few months now. So we'll include links in the show notes. If you're listening to this and you're curious about that, follow up by checking the show notes. Uh, Sean, that was the Oxide Computer Company, right? And I think that's just computer company. Yeah, they uh, it, it's a very very interesting company. You know, I think if you know, there's, it goes back to the old Alan Kay quote: "Anyone who's serious enough about their software should make their own hardware." <laughs> and these people are very very advanced wow. software people who have had it with our with modern commodity hardware, and they started making their own. Oh, fantastic! That's a real rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, there's one final question I had. Um, we talked a little bit about the technology of you know creating a, a podcast. We talked a little bit about you know how to convince stakeholders in your company and how much time it takes. The one thing on that time issue is consistency and cadence. I don't know how many podcasts I've followed. I really get into them. They're in my library. I get the weekly episodes, and then they're gone. They're just, mm. they've disappeared. And I, I think that's incredibly frustrating. And for two reasons. Number one is you've left that audience behind and they've nowhere else to go. But number two, if you're investing time um, to producing a podcast, you need to give that time to grow. I mean, obviously, you know, at some point in time, if you're not hitting those metrics, your company needs you to hit, et cetera, et cetera. But how important is that cadence to all three, uh, you know, how often are you podcasting? How often are you getting out the content? We podcast once a week. And I think whatever schedule you're on, it's important to kind of commit to that schedule for the long term, you know. So it doesn't. I don't think it quite matters so much if you're doing once a week or once a fortnight or once a month, as long as you stick to that and you can expect an episode coming every single interval, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever your sprint length is, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and again, it comes back to this idea. See, I think the big idea for developer relations is that any technology company ought to be talking to developers. And there is no expiry date on talking to developers, right? Mm. You, are, you are constantly having that conversation. The medium may change, but you've got, you can't say like, we're going to do a podcast for a year and see how it goes. You've got to say, we're going to be do, doing conversations forever. And mm. is podcasting the right medium for it? And I think it is. It's a way for us to all eavesdrop on the interesting conversations in our industry. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah very insightful. Sean, your thoughts? I see some companies do seasons. Um, so they'll do season one, season two, and then they'll, they'll come on, they'll have good episodes for like 10 episodes, and then, and then they drop off. And I think in the examination it's nice to have themes to what you're doing and then to switch up the themes, but then you don't get to build a relationship week in, week out with the listener. And I think that's more important. So I, I am much more in favor of the weekly thing. It has been challenging on the, the podcast that I've been on to commit to weekly mm -hmm. because most of us are, are not in the same privileged position that we are not full-time podcasters. Podcasters is number five <laughs> or six on the list of things that we have to have going on. And the results, the results show, show up accordingly, right? Because we don't take it as seriously, therefore it, it doesn't show up as well. So I have a little bit of conflict about that. Like how seriously should we be investing in podcasting? There's a bit of a chicken and egg because there's no results mm -hmm. until you invest. Mm. <laughs> but what I've been doing is, uh, you know, is, is I've been surveying the fields. Uh, you know, I listen to a, a lot of podcasts um, and I try to 
segment, like what they do. You know, sometimes uh, you, you're just discussing the news. It, you know, I think having a, a, a precise format, like like you're developing a radio show, is useful. Like if you're discussing the news, if you're discussing like a successful migration, if you're s- discussing mm-hmm. a product launch, uh, those are all well-known formats and, and you can do a good job of, of each. Uh, and I think developing that format that uh, people know and love you for is essentially mm. what I'm seeking right now. Mm. And Mike, your thoughts, I know it, it's kind of, it's it's constant in your planning, you know, when's the next episode? When is yeah. it coming out? Where are my guests? Where are these guests coming from? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll echo what's been said. Consistency is key. And I shoot for at least one episode a week. I think it's, it's important. Developers, People in the tech industry have an appetite for good, fresh information about tools and tech. And I try to position the MongoDB podcast as an outlet for that. And I try to inform, inspire, motivate, and educate. Those are the goals for the, for the podcast. Where do the guests come from? They come largely from my contacts in the industry. I spend a lot of time out on the road speaking at conferences I meet people, I'm shaking hands, I'm, I'm meeting, you know, very interesting people doing interesting things with technology. And, and that's the, probably the biggest source of, of guests. The second source of guests is internally. There's a lot of really amazing things happening uh, at MongoDB, not to be too self-promotional, but, but really, I mean, there's some <laughs> super bright people here doing some amazing things. And we've created this platform that, you know, that really with a goal to, to help developers become more effective and more easily do what they have to do. So what better way to to help and, and help meet our goal than to have folks from, you know, the, the team's building. So engineers, product managers, product marketing managers, uh, all talking about the the tools and, and tips and tech. And then and then lastly, I do quite a bit of of reading and trolling social media, looking for just those very same people doing interesting things with with software and technology. And if you're listening to this, and you've got something interesting that other software developers might be interested in, please reach out. You can reach me at on Twitter, at MLIN, uh, or all over the place, LinkedIn, anywhere. But great question, though. Excellent, excellent. And, and a very good plug at the end there, Mike. So hopefully that will <laughs> bring a floodgates of guests. So we're going to wrap up now. Um, this is all about International Podcast Day. We hope that you've learned a little bit about you know, the importance of, of w- what we think, and we'd be preaching to the converter here in this audience anyway, of podcasting and ha- you know the benefits it brings. And I like that you know, what you said there, Mike, inform, inspire, educate, etc., as well, too. And, and we touched on the technology. We had a technical hitch in the middle of this podcast, so it's going to be seamlessly stitched together. You <laughs> will not know. Um, I think a question for each of the three of you, you've been involved in podcasting long enough now, either producing your own or being guests, etc. You go into a new company, and, and Sean, you're in a new company a couple of months yourself. You meet the CEO in the lift, the 30-second pitch for why make a podcast. Off you go. Sean, I'm going to pick on you first. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm, I'm the one that's been putting it off. Um, it is an opportunity for you to get in your customers' ears and hear from human to human, uh, the, the, the people working on the technology and, and using the technology on a day-to-day basis. And that builds connection unlike any other form of medium that developer advocates 
Excellent. I put you on the spot. So, Chris, you had 30 seconds to prepare your answer. Oh, goodness. The trouble is, I, I, I can cheat because I don't think I'd accept a new job if I don't get to do the podcast. I enjoy it too much uh-huh. to give it up. <laughs> yeah, this, this is your deal breaker in the interview then. So, yeah, right? it actually is. It's like, it's, it's a good one for my current employers because they've got something really <laughs> sticky hanging over me, right? But I, I think I'd go back to what I said about conversations your company will be talking to developers somehow you're either doing it well you're doing it badly you're doing it regularly or haphazardly a podcast is a great way to to engage them in a structured conversation they can rely on Mm. now spotlight on you mike lynn anything else to add to those 30 second pitches i've kind of cheated because i've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last couple of days weeks and i've actually written an article that I'd love for you to read. (laughs) It's entitled four reasons why your tech company should launch a podcast. And, and I'm not going to spoil it, but, but it's about the fact that if you're in a tech company, your listeners are waiting for you to reach them there. They want to hear your message. You can become a, a thought leader in your industry through a podcast. Yes. As Sean mentioned, the competition is, is fierce, but I believe that Every company has a unique target market, and within that target market are people that listen to podcasts. So there's a great overlap, and you're going to mm-hmm. reach more people if you if you do launch a podcast. And then it comes down to crafting the message, measuring, listening to your audience, making sure that you're you're listening to your listeners and and adapting your content to suit them and make them happy. So um, I hope we've done that today. Shane, great job with the questions. Excellent. Ah, oh, well, listen, I, I learned from the master himself, you know. So uh, this has been a superb conversation. Mike, where do we see, where do, not see, where do we read uh, the four th- reasons why your company needs a podcast? Yeah, it's going to be on the MongoDB blog, and I'm going to include links in the show notes. I don't have the actual URL because at the time we're recording this, the magic of podcasting. It actually hasn't been been published yet, but it'll be published by the time that these sweet tones reach your ears. Excellent. And on that note, I would just like to say, Chris, Sean, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We wish everybody a happy International Podcast Day. This will become the norm. We will see cards and banners and balloons and flowers for for all the podcast hosts throughout the world. So happy International Podcast Day, everybody. And many thanks to my guests today, Mike, Chris, and Sean. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for links to all the things we discussed today, as well as links to contact information for both Chris Jenkins and Sean Swick Swang. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.